It's good to be here, and uh, I send and add my greetings from President Hagen, and uh, I like to still call him Pastor Scott, because uh, he's still got that pastor's heart. He texted me several times last night and just said, please tell them how much I love them, and tell them to come to North Central. And so I said, I'll do that. So there you go. Um, but I also want to add in the welcomes from the pastors and the communities around North Central. You see, when you come to the school, you don't just go to chapel and go to class and go to work, but there's a faith community, a family around the students here at this school, and then not just at Emmanuel, but churches all over the Twin Cities where our students are involved and they're serving, and then there are people, real life people, not just classroom people, that we grow our faith in together. And as one of the local pastors, I just want to say welcome. Those of you that are parents, perhaps, you're thinking about the city and you're thinking about how will my kid make it when I drop them off? And I just want to tell you that uh, they're going to not only make it, but they've got a whole fabric of family supporting them, not only the student development staff and all of the residence life and all of the, the teachers and all of the, the people that are investing here on campus, but even outside of here, we believe in North Central and we believe in the future and the dreams that God has put in your heart. And we're just glad that we get to be a part of the story at our, our church. Over half of our staff are North Central alums. And, uh, and so uh, they get a full dose of, of North Central all the time, so much so that some of our students are like, I don't know if I want to go to North Central. Everybody goes there. And, uh, and I would just say the reason that everybody goes there is because it's a place to be. Amen. So uh, I want to dive right in uh, to the subject that the Lord put on my heart and really galvanized this morning. And so it's fresh. I've been praying, and I was like, Lord, I know that there's a diverse audience. There's people that are emerging, and they're not sure where they're going to go to school. There's, there's people that are visiting and looking in. There's pastors. There's teachers in here. There's also current students that are uh, in the middle of a semester. Midterms are taking place and all of that. And I'm like, Lord, what do you want to say? Because, you know, we could talk about a whole lot of things and give you great ideas, but how many want to just hear what God wants us to say, you know? And just to... For me, that's, that's where I was, and I, I was praying, and the Lord took me back to something that actually is really critical, and it's kind of been a, a life uh, uh, a fascination for me, and that is regarding bread in the New Testament and Jesus' reference of bread, and, and I'll, I'll talk about it in a minute, because out of all of the lessons that Jesus taught, there's been one moment in his story that really has captivated my attention the most, and it's the feeding of the 5,000. And you can go to Luke chapter 9, and I'm going to get there in a moment. But in Luke chapter 9, there's this story where Jesus feeds 5,000. There's this big miracle out of a handful of bread and fish, and, and it's like this multiplication miracle. And most people, when they look at the story, they think of the miracle, but they don't think about the discipleship journey that Jesus is taking, that posse of people that were with him along the way. You see, his disciples were with him in the private places. They were in the public they watched and they heard him teach. But even while Jesus was doing a miracle, he was trying to teach his disciples something, something that they would remember long after he was gone. And they were now doing what he did. And they had to lead and they went through their own journey. And for many of us, Jesus, we want him to do a miracle in our lives that will impact others in a life-changing way. We want a miracle to happen through us. 
Teachers who dream that their investment in the next generation of students will end cycles of poverty and elevate the future for families. Counselors who dream that their career will help individuals who have uh, great emotional trauma and put the fabric of lives back together. Business students here who want to use their talents to create breakthrough products and services and step into management roles which elevate the performance of employees and companies and cities around them. Church leaders who equip the church to do the work of the ministry. All of us have dreams of what God would do as a miracle through our lives. But what we often miss are the discipleship lessons that Jesus would teach us in the miracle. In this story, Jesus presents a profound image of a discipleship principle that his disciples would remember long after. And he does something with the bread that is significant. Let's look at Luke chapter 9. Verse 12, late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. And there is nothing to eat here in this remote place. So they're saying, Jesus, we got crowds. There's nothing to eat. What are you going to do about it, Jesus? And what does Jesus say in verse 13? But Jesus said, you feed them. Jesus throws it back to his disciples, and they're used to him doing it for them. How many, when you started your journey here at North Central, you came in here like you were sure God was going to make you a super Christian in the first month? And by the third month, you are contemplating skipping chapel every day. I'm not going to keep it real today. We want Jesus to do it for us. And Jesus throws it back to us and says, now you, it's your job. Turn to the person next to you and say, you feed them. <laughs> but we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Are you expecting us to go, go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? There are about 5,000 men there. And, of course, many scholars say that's you know, 15, 20,000 people nearby. And Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the people all sat down. And Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up toward heaven, blessed them, then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and the fish to the disciples so they could uh, distribute it to the people. And they all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. How many have heard this story before? Okay. There's an interesting thing that happens here. There are four things that Jesus did with the bread that he wanted to do not only in his own life. How many know Jesus would go to the cross? And Jesus called himself the bread of life. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, broke the bread and he said, this is my what? This is my body broken for you. For Jesus, when he would talk about the bread, he was actually talking about himself. But on this occasion that we're looking at, where he fed the 5,000, this bread would be the image of what he did with the bread, of what the disciples would go through over and over and over throughout their life. And I want to say this to you, whatever part of the journey and the story that you're on, you might be the oldest saint in the room. 
You still need to go through Jesus' process of discipleship in your life just like you did. And I remember the moment when I was at North Central, and it was in the early 1990s, and I was out over here, and there used to be an organ sitting over here, and I got down, and I bowed before the Lord, and I heard his voice. I still need to bow before him, even though my career is developed. And this is what I, why I feel like the Lord wanted me to speak this today, is because we live in a generation a Instagram generation, a generation where our dream is to be famous. Our dream is to get to the point, and we could be in trouble if we, we view God as doing a miracle to make us famous. Or God is going to use my career to make me something I wasn't before. Or God is going to do that. And how many know it's not about us? It's about him using us. Him getting glory through us to feed the people around us. And so the four things that he did with the bread is he took the bread. Everybody say, took the bread. So he took the bread, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, and he gave it away. Let me just talk about taking the bread. He took the bread, took it in his hands. There was no miracle yet until it was in his hands. And I'll tell you this, your talent your skill, your career, your efforts, everything you do, you will not have a God miracle until it's in his hands. It doesn't matter what career you pursue, what your discipline is, what your major is, or what you visualize yourself doing. You have to have your life in his hands and your career in his hands in order for there ever to be a miracle through you. In reality, we often house are calling in a title or a uniform. I want to be this someday. I want to be famous. I want to have a lot of authority. I want to be in supervision. I want to be one that oversees lots of money. I want all of those. And we see a destination in mind. But let me remind you that you are not called to a destination or a uniform. Our world salutes uniforms. But regularly, you take the uniform off. And who are you without the uniform? I'll tell you what you are called to. You are called to his voice. It was his voice that called you out. Listen, I would love to say, you know, yes, I have an assignment to pastor, but ultimately I am called to his voice. I'm not called to pastor. We house it even at the school. Some of you sit back and you listen to people like me that are pastors come and preach. You're like, why do we always have pastors in chapel? And you're frustrated because you want somebody that wears the uniform you want to wear speaking up here. But for all of us, it has nothing to do with the uniform we wear. It has to do with the voice we're called to. Each of us were born, we were in our mother's womb, and God was shaping us and molding us for his purposes. He had a destiny, an appointment book laid out for all of us. And if we start telling him what our appointments are and where he needs to fit in our appointments, we've got the cart before the horse. We're not following him. He's try we're trying to add him in to our dream. When I was uh, at school here, I remember I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I still don't. People were like, what are you going to do? Where are you going to work? What do you do? You know, everybody wants to assign our, our value based on how big our dream is sometimes. But in reality, all I wanted to do was be obedient to his voice. So I volunteered at a local church, and I just gave my best in the youth ministry there. 
And as a volunteer, as I worked, I thought I was overlooked. Other people were more popular, more used. The pastor liked that person. And I would come back to school, and I'd be in class, and some people were serious, and some people weren't serious about what they were doing. Some people more into party life. Let's be for real. And some people here are really into the call and are serious about their journey. And all of us go through those different moments. And there's times when I wasn't focused. And I remember just being confused because I was like, Lord, if nobody sees it in me, who am I? And I, I, I can take you back to the third floor prayer room where it was on third floor Carlson Hall. And I would get down on my knees and cry like a baby because I was lonely my first semester here. And I don't cry in front of anybody for nothing. And there was something that was fashioned and formed on that third floor prayer room where I went, Lord, after crying and talking to him, where I surrendered to God. And I said, I don't care what you want me to do. All I want is you. And I embraced his smile and was obedient to his assignments. And then he opened and closed doors over time. So I wasn't rating the relationships I had with whether or not they saw greatness in me. I was, I, I was just being obedient. And along the way, I ended up volunteering. I ended up doing my internship at that church. And, uh, and then I ended up at being asked to be a youth pastor or associate. I was there. And then 18 months later, my, the lead youth pastor backslid and became a senior pastor. And uh, just kidding. That's what I thought back then. He went away, and I was asked to leave the youth ministry, and I spent 10 years as a youth pastor at Emmanuel. And then, you know, everybody knew me as Pastor Nate. That's who I was. We had 800 kids in the youth group, and there were a lot of great things happening, and right at the epitome of it, we had a TV show. We were on Fox at 9 o'clock on Friday nights here in town, and everybody knew about JC's place, and you know, in my dream world, I thought, well, Lord, where are you taking us? Are we going to go bigger, and what's going to happen? And, and right at the top of that, I get a phone call from the former president of North Central, Gordon Anderson, and he says, Nate, I'd like you to think about coming to North Central. <laughs> and I said, it doesn't really make sense. I'm at the, and he was not even offering me anything. He just said, just come and be a teacher and I had four full-time assistant youth pastors and, and an, a master's commission and whole set of things. And he said, would you at least pray about it? And the very next day, I said, yes, yeah, sir. I told my wife, she said, you're not going to do that, are you? I'm like, no. The very next day, I started getting this weird gut feeling. I'm like, oh, shoot. <laughs> and my wife, she comes up to me and she goes, I think you should think about it. Then I had to change my pants. <laughs> Because my wife doesn't like change. And two days later, I resigned. And I didn't have a job description. I didn't have a perfect story to tell everybody back at the church. All I had was the voice. And friends, I'm just telling you this. We've got to stop hugging the uniform, and what everybody else believes is awesome, and start embracing the voice of God and enjoy anonymity if that's what it takes. That's all. Then I spent 10 years here, 11 different offices on campus, not really sure what I was doing sometimes. And then the Lord called me back to the lead pastor of the church I had been a youth pastor at. And let me tell you this, when I went back, I came back different than I had been. 
Because I didn't claw to get in the role I'm in. I don't have to claw to keep it. I'm not looking at people as potential threats to take me out. Why? Because I'm called to his voice. Emmanuel Christian Center is not my provider. Jehovah Jireh is my provider. And I can follow the voice. The second thing he did is he took the bread, he blessed the bread. And there's something about the smile of heaven and what Jesus does that can take crooked things and make them straight. And I don't know, in this generation of all generations, there's so much confusion about identity that often we can be concerned about what other people have said we are, what we've done that's messed up our, our reputation or who we think we are. Some of us were born into families where your parents were, let's be honest, they're not following Jesus. Some of you are children of abuse. Others have gone through divorce in their family or ne maybe never had a married parent in your life. And there are lies that the enemy would love to sink into your head that you gotta outperform everybody else to be good enough. That somehow you gotta get ahead of the game so that you can get up to where everybody else was that had the perfect life. And let me tell you this, if you pursue the route of perfectionism and trying to outdo everybody else, you may get to the point you dream of, but it will be empty and it will hurt worse than you could ever have imagined. Or you can start with, Lord, you've taken me. I need your smile on my life. I need to know who you say I am. You said that I'm a daughter of Christ, that I'm a son of God. You say this about me, that I'm adopted into the new family of heaven. You say that I'm, I, am, I am not rejected, but I'm accepted. You said that in your word that you died for me while I was still a sinner. So even the things I've done, I'm still accepted. And the, the Bible says, like it does in the, the great priestly blessing that Aaron prayed over Israel, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he turn his face towards you. There's something about the smile of heaven that he would turn his face toward you and he actually sees you. He actually notices you. And when you can live in that knowledge and that acceptance, there's something that happens. You're able to walk in the blessing he gives you, not on your storyline and not on your uniform. Now if I were to take my phone out and take a picture of you, how many of you, you would like, you do this and you try to look beautiful and you get in the picture. How many of you have ever taken a group photo with your friends? In fact, I want to do this right now. Take your phone out. I know you're not supposed to in chapel. Let me just take your phone out. I want you to take a group photo of the people that are around you right now. And then in a little bit, you can hashtag it NCU days. But this, ready? Go. Take a picture. Okay, just one picture. That's it, just one. All right? Now, now listen to me real close because my time is coming to an end. All right? When you take a group photo and you look at the picture for the first time, who do you look at first in the picture? We are hopelessly... Selfish in our orientation since birth. We always want to see ourselves. Listen, 
Because we are that way, we think God doesn't see us. But he turns and he actually sees you. You are very special to him. And he notices you. And for whatever reason, even at your worst, all the things that you could list out of all the things that are not good about you, the stuff that you don't even talk about with other people, I want you to know your father loves you so much that he sent his one and only son, not only to give you salvation and eternal life, but to call you a disciple. And a disciple, the definition of disciple is a learner under discipline. You see, when you follow Jesus, you aren't just wanting other people to say you're already good. You're wanting to follow Jesus so he can grow you into the dream he placed in you in your mother's womb. And as you follow the disciple maker, Jesus, you have to believe that he's smiling on you took the bread, he blessed the bread, and then he broke the bread. It smells really good. <laughs> There's no miracle until we're willing to be broken. Jesus used this physically in front of his disciples, but you better believe years later when they were trying to figure out, how do I do this thing when things aren't working right? And they had to learn to embrace brokenness. Brokenness, scripturally, is not weakness. It's strength that chooses to come under the bit in the bridle. Willing to be disciplined. Willing to be uncomfortable. Willing to follow the disciple maker's plan for our life. When you step into an educational career here at North Central, the uniqueness of North Central is not the content of our classrooms, although the Bible is amazing and some of the things that all of our teachers are teaching and all the disciplines are amazing. The uniqueness is, the thing that ties all of the majors together is that all of us are saying, Jesus, I want you to make me into your dream for my life. And I'm willing to go through all the stuff even if I don't like it. Because I know you're making of me a disciple. And listen, education is not about the diploma you're going to get. The diploma proves that you've gone through a school of brokenness so that you can handle a lifetime of brokenness. See, getting into the dream is not the end of the story. Too many people that are my age... When they were in school, they figured out how to get the skill set down to get a job. But internally, they did not bow their heart before God and embrace what I call embrace the suck, the painful stuff of life. They didn't do that. And because they didn't do that, they reached a point in their story where they were cursing their life. They were mad at the boss or the, the, the downturn in the economy that changed their economic situation. They were mad at their family or their marriage broke up, and they give up. But the people who learn to still say over and over again, Lord, take me. I put my life again in your hands. The people who say, Lord, I receive your blessing and who you say I am. The people who say, I'm willing to be broken. I'm willing to go through the hard stuff. But you don't understand, Nate. My teacher, 
My teacher doesn't like me. You don't understand, Pastor Nate. This class has too many assignments. This class is making me go through more stuff, and it's stupid. I'll never use it the rest of my life. And I want you to ask yourself as a disciple in that moment, Lord, are you asking me to embrace the suck? Are you asking me to pick up my cross? And remember, it's not about your teacher or that individual class. It's about the disciple that Jesus is making you into. Oh, come on, somebody. If you catch that, you will, you will learn lessons. And listen, as you go, if you can do those three things, then and only then will he do the multiplication miracle through your life. If it's only about you, your career, your achievements, and your story, you will be blessed, but the people will miss out on the miracle. But if you embrace Jesus' way of being taken, of being blessed, of being broken, you will discover that the kingdom of God is alive around you everywhere that you go. Would you stand with me today? Hallelujah. 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 Jesus. I know some of you just want to get out of here and all of that, but can you just take two minutes? Can you just take two minutes? A fresh two minutes? An undistracted two minutes? Two minutes so you don't care about the person next to you thinks about you or what's going on? And can you go back in Jesus' hands and say, take me? Take me. Take me, Jesus. In fact, come on. Just lift your hands to him right now, can you? Just say, take me, Jesus. Take me, Jesus. Take me fresh. Not for accolades, not for selfie moments, not for fame or fortune, but take me in your hands. I believe who you say I am. I believe I'm a daughter of heaven. I'm a son of God. I believe you. I believe you are fashioning and forming me, that you're not done. I believe I'm your masterpiece, and there's a work to be done, and I choose. I choose to surrender you. I'm not taking you into my dream. I'm surrendering to your dream. Oh, take me, Jesus. Take me, Jesus. Take me, Jesus. Jesus. Hallelujah. Leave those hands in the air. I'm going to pray a blessing over you. And Father, I pray that you would turn your face towards these, your people. That you would see them. Notice them. And Lord, would you take crooked things inside of us and make them straight? Would you, Lord, lift up the brokenhearted, the chin of the downtrodden? Would you give the garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness? Would you release prisoners? And may we be able to echo what Jesus said when he read Isaiah 61, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. And I ask, oh God, that you would do it. You would smile on each one. The worship team's going to sing, and I know we have fasting and prayer we're going into, and I know the NCU guests, you don't have to stick around for fasting and prayer hour. Um, you can. You're welcome to if you want. You're going to be able to be dismissed, but I'm just going to do a general altar call right now for you to come and just take a moment to just say, God, I'm going to bend my knee. I'm going to spend time before you. 
I'm going to let you break me. Break me with the things that you want to break me with. I soften myself. I surrender to you, but I want to be given away. I want my dreams to bless the world. I want my dreams to be kingdom-driven. I want my, king, my dreams to be in your hands. These altars are open.